All right, well, uh, good evening, group. What's up? Welcome to week two. Man, who was here last week real quick? Just show of hands. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you for being back. Uh, if you were here last week, you know we introduced a new series uh, titled Saints, which is through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we were introduced to this community, this church, in this city of Corinth, which is in the Mediterranean. And how this church began is we find this guy, the Apostle Paul, and he's in Athens in Acts chapter 17. And he actually gets kicked out of Athens and wanders his, his way into Corinth. And he plants this community of believers. He initially goes to the Jews. They kick him out. He shows up with the Gentiles. And about a group of 100 people give their life to Jesus, this brand new message of Jesus Christ infiltrating this community, and these people form the first church. Paul stays with them for about 18 months, and then he moves on to go be a part of planting other communities. But what happens when he does this is he gets word that there are some problems in the church. Everybody say problems. We all got problems. Can I get an amen? We are all a people in process. Can I get an amen? And so was the church in Corinth. They had division problems. They had sexual immorality problems. They had theological problems. They had idolatry problems. They had lots of issues in their order of service. And so Paul receives word about these problems in the church. And he writes this letter back to the people of Corinth to address it. But the beautiful thing that we saw last week was even in the midst of their problems, even in the midst of all of their process, Paul first reminds them of their position. And here's what he says. He says, you are the saints. The word saints means holy. You're set apart. You're God's chosen ones. And here's what God always does, guys. He always communicates first your position and then your process. He always reminds you of your position and then reveals your problem. God is going to call you a son, and then he calls out your, your sin. He's going to say, this is your position. Now, now, Corinthians, let's align our process. Let's bring it into alignment with the gospel and the call on your life in Christ, because this is who he has positioned you to be. And so that's where we see Paul taking us over the next 13 weeks is he's going to align our lives, our process, our problems, our sin. He's going to bring them underneath the covering of the gospel in our position in Christ. And that's where we're going to get into today. A little bit of process. Everybody say process. We're getting into the process. And let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10. And we're introduced to our first problem in Corinth. We'll dig in a little bit here, uh, but here, here's where we're going to start. For verse 10, chapter one, we have the verses on the screen for you as well, if you'd like to follow along. And here's what Paul writes. I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and there be no divisions among you, but that you being united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me, here's the report, by Chloe's people that there is some quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, that's Peter, or I follow Christ. But is Christ divided? 
Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may be able to say you were baptized in my name. And then Paul kind of has like a, just a blip here, like one of those like clouds. He's like, wait, oh, actually I did baptize the household of Stephanus. But beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. And then he comes back and then he comes back to reality. He's like, okay, we're back. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. Mm. If that, if you just want to shore up your theology there. Baptism is not a part for salvation. It's from salvation, not for salvation. Just solidify right there. He said, he didn't send me to baptize. It's not a part of it. He sent me to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Whoa. Verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly. You might want to circle that word to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is power of God. Power and, and folly. Let me ask you, group, if you were going to start a movement for Jesus, if you were going to start your own group, if you were going to plant a church, if you were going to start a small group, Catalyze a movement for Jesus, for Christ in the community. If you wanted to do something like that, what would you focus on? What would you invest in? What would you concentrate on? What would be your strategy? A few years ago, a buddy of mine told me that he met this church planter on an airplane. And this guy starting a church in a community. Paul was the premier church planter. And he says, hey, tell me your strategy for church planting. Like, what are you, what are you gonna do? Like, what are you about? And he said, well, man, it's, it's actually pretty easy. You know, one, you need a great sound system. This is a true story. Two, you need a dynamic speaker. And three, you need a great band. If you have those three elements, people come. And, and isn't that the product? Isn't that success? And so when you hear about it like that, it sounds a little fishy. Like, oh, okay, well, what? But, but the reality is we can do these kind of things, right? We make secondary matters primary. We make primary matters secondary. It's, it's the bones, but there's no breath. It's the structure, but there's no spirit. And, and here's what we do. We take people in their, in their giftings, in their abilities, um, and we elevate them to an unhealthy place. I've got my sermons with these cool alliterations, and I try illustrations with the keyboard that don't really work super well, but... If anybody was here last week, it's a little bit awkward getting off stage. But, uh, but the Corinthians are all about this. They love gifting. They love ability. They're all about it. And even Paul addresses it in chapter 1 where he said that God enriched their giftings. God cares about it too. He, he enriched their speech and their knowledge. And they're all about this. But there's a fine line to focusing on your gifting. There's a fine line here, guys. We, we live in the podcast world. You got Piper and you got MacArthur and you got Chan and you got Chandler and you got all these guys. And then you come here and you're like, what, what do we got? They're like, this ain't it. <laughs> this ain't it. And, and we, we covet these incredible speakers, these amazing singers with such dynamic gifts. And, and gifts from God are still gifts. They're, they're to be used for God. And we should never discount them. 
But, but what if I told you that the power of Christianity is not in a person or their platform or their gifting or their persuasion? What if I told you that the power was in the message? What, what if I told you that the power was in the message of the cross? And this is what Paul's going to teach us this evening. And so here's the title for my message. This is called really simple. The message matters. The message matters. Okay. Everybody say message. Say matters. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about two things to consider tonight when we think of the message and how, how much it matters. And the first is context. And the second is content. Context and content. Let's look at our context here that Paul introduces us to. Look what he says. He says in verse 12, each one of you says, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? And so, so Paul is in a context here in Corinth um, where there's a ton of religious diversity. There's a ton of social status. Corinth was a community that, that loved nobility. They loved power and they had political factions and they were all about status and honor and gifting and ability. And so it was a people who loved rhetorical persuasion. And so what would happen in Corinth is people would come in and these great orators would set up shop in the theaters and they would speak for the community and they would all gather and everybody would derive their own political movement or their own notion and people would get behind them. And so there's a ton of this where they really, really care about your status as a person and your rhetorical ability and gifting. This is what gives people status and power and honor. That's the context that Paul is writing in. They care about outward appearance and eloquence. Their status was on their gifting. And so what happens is Paul is writing because it seems that some of this was happening in the church. This context that the church was planted in that is now infiltrated with the gospel, it's starting to permeate into the church, this power of persuasion. Eloquent wisdom, eloquent rhetoric. And so what happened was the Corinthians, their, their pride was coming in because it was causing them to focus on the various preachers and not the gospel being preached. Their, their pride was coming in where in their context, because of the values of Corinth, it's causing them to focus on having pride in their specific preacher and not the gospel being preached. Now, here's the thing for, for Paul. Paul caught a lot of flack from the Corinthians because he wasn't a gifted communicator. Paul was a very gifted theologian and writer, church planter, but he wasn't a good communicator. He says this in 2 Corinthians 10.10. 10. He says this, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. This is the Apostle Paul. He's always defending his credibility because he's not a great speaker. And, and, and people, they value this rhetorical influence, this gifting of communication. And man, if you're about that in Corinth, you're somebody. And it's all about the persuasion of the person. And let's get behind them and let's represent them and let's follow them. And Paul, he doesn't have this gifting. 
He's, he's incredibly filled with the spirit. He has power and yet he doesn't have it. And so the, the, the Corinthians didn't really honor him or value him in that way. But they loved guys like Apollos. He says, I follow Apollos. Apollos was well-versed in the scriptures. He was a great order. They had no problem following guys like this. But isn't it true that this is kind of like the American church at times? Like how do you know, it's built on personalities in some ways. Let's be honest. And, and there's nothing wrong with gifting. God has given you these gifts for his glory. But rem- remembering this, that they had, they had focused their pride on the various preacher and not the gospel being preached. But Paul had a different focus, okay? Here is Paul's focus. Listen, Paul's primary focus, it seems, was on the power of the message, not the messenger. It was on the power of the message. And this is where we get the content. So we have the context of Corinth and what they value as a community and what they're placing their value and how that's permeating in and causing them to focus on the preacher and not the the message being preached. But now here's the content. Look what he says, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Turn over to chapter two. Look at verse one. Paul reiterates something very similar. Here's what he says. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing. I'll say that again. I decided to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. He's talking about man's wisdom. But in the demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So here's my first point. The power of the message is greater than the persuasion of the messengers. The power of the message is greater than the persuasion of the messengers. In in Greco-Roman rhetoric, when we talk about them elevating this eloquence, they had kind of a five-step process for speaking. And they're actually quite great tools. But the third step was what they really focused on. It was this idea of yielding. And what it was, it was to draw an emotional response from you based on their based on their stance, based on their presentation and get you to yield to the message. And that's all fine and, and almost somewhat biblical. But Paul's primary focus on preaching was comprehension. He wants you to understand the message. He wants you to receive the proper information and revelation, which would then lead the spirit to get you to transformation. Does this make sense to anyone? Okay, so Paul is focused on you understanding the message because the power is in the message. And it's the spirit's job to get you to yield. Not my rhetoric, not my eloquence, not my wisdom, not my persuasion. The power is in the message. It's greater than the persuasion of the messenger. And he says that our message has power. That Greek word is dunamis. One of the ways this is used, it's the power for performing miracles. 
There's a literal power in the message of the cross of Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said it was power in spirit. And so the cross would be emptied of its power if it was performed merely by your persuasion. So here's what we know. Men cannot bring men back to life. Men don't bring men back to life. Jesus said it like this. He said, the spirit gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. Men can't bring men back to life. It's the spirit of God through the word of God when it's preached that brings men back to life. And here's the beautiful thing about this. This is transferable. This is transferable. This is not to the gifted. This is not to the professional public speaker. This means that there's not just professional Christian ministers that can only lead people to Jesus. That's not the case. When God called men, he said, come be a fisher of men. And he takes very ordinary fishermen and he places us all around the lake and gives us all a rod and a reel and says, just throw. Just throw the message in and sooner or later we're going to catch something. He doesn't need a few primary professional fishermen with great personalities to catch all the fish. He just wants regular, humble beggars that are willing to get around the lake and throw. That's who he uses. God doesn't call the great persuaders. He calls humble beggars. And if anything, actually, what Paul will say is that we, the messengers, um, we're actually pretty foolish ourselves. Look, look, look how he says this. Look at uh, chapter one, verse 26. Just to reiterate again that it's not the power of your persuasiveness as a messenger. Look what he says. He says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. And, and why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So what he's saying is, it's not in the persuasion of the messenger, it's in the power of the message, because then you can never boast. We can't boast, because it's his power, it's, it's his working. So we, even the messengers, are, are, are foolish. But the, the reality that Paul even says is that our message is actually foolish in many ways, right? This is what he's saying. He says in uh, chapter 2, or excuse me, going back to uh, chapter 1, look at verse 20. He says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. That's a, that's a crazy, I, I'm trying to understand this. In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So he says the message we preach according to people is folly. To those who are perishing, not in Christ, it's folly. To those who are being saved, it's the power of God. The word folly there is the Greek word moria. It means silliness. In many ways, it's just a shorter version of the word moronic. Like in many ways, our message to people, when they hear it, they think like, dude, 
That is so moronic. Are you kidding me? Like you expect me to believe like God becomes a baby and then, you know, is through a virgin and then like grows up to be 30 and like was sinless, dies on a piece of wood. And that makes me right with God. Like really think about it, guys. You've never seen him and you're praying to him and you trust him and he makes you right with God. It's a pretty crazy message. I got one person who agrees. Thank you, Cassie. It is. In the Corinthian community, as we see, that they're focused on wisdom, man's wisdom, which, which is all about, it's, it's about power and approval and status and recognition. It, but God's wisdom was, was focused on suffering and humility. It was love and service and sacrifice. The cross was antithetical to everything we value as a society. In America, we can relate so much to the body of believers in Corinth. And he says it like this, look, continuing in verse 22. He says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. You see, even, even the Jews, they, they thought their Messiah was going to be this political deliverer. And they thought he was going to come on a horse and destroy people and kill the Romans. But he comes as this meek and humble servant who lays down his life. And the Gentiles, they're these cultured people. And they're very wise. And they're the intelligent. They're the engineers and the scientists. And they just think, man, this is just, yeah, this is just nonsensical. So the cross, bringing this up in a conversation would not be appropriate. If in many ways in their culture, you would never mention the cross as a topic of conversation. The cross was a tool for torture. The cross was a public display of humiliation and shame. The cross was used to destroy people physically and emotionally. The whole person was exposed and shamed before the entire community. The cross was for the criminal. It, it, you know, to them, it shouldn't have been for the Christ. But Paul, he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because that's, that's the spirit of God working and the power of God. And through that message, it produces life. That message has the power to bring you back to life. Ephesians says you were dead in your trespasses. But, but through Christ, you're made alive again. So that message has power. It's the power of the message greater than the persuasiveness of the messenger. And the second point is this. Don't let your context dilute your content. Don't let your context dilute your content. We live in the age of secularism, which just means that everybody applies truth relatively in their life based on how pragmatic it is. So this feels good. This works. I think this is okay. I'll adjust it until it's appropriate for my life and then I'll apply it. And so that can cause us to think, man, I really want to reach the people around me. I want to love them well. I want to help them. I want to serve them. I want to reach them. So maybe I'll just adjust my message a little bit to be a little bit formatable for their life. The other day I was at Starbucks and I was sitting down and uh, yeah, and uh, this girl was kind of hobbling out, right? And I was like, well, you know, I'm having a horrible day. Maybe I'll just go pray for this girl. I'll feel better about myself. So I walk out there. That's my logic. So I walk out 
I'm like, yo, what's up? Hey, your foot. Something's up with your foot, right? That's that guy looking at your place. Your foot. My last, my last name Proudfoot. Which means I'm, I can heal your foot. So I said, hey, you mind if I pray for your foot? And uh, I did. And I don't think he got healed. But, um, but I prayed for it. So there, that happened. But in that time... Uh, she starts to share with me, you know, like, hey, last night, like, I was, like, in my car. I was crying out to God. I was screaming, like, where are you? You know, what's going on? Why don't you answer me? And I was like, yo, that's crazy. Like, maybe I'm the answer. Like, I mean, like, maybe God, like, like not me, but, like, maybe God sent me to show you where he is. And I, so I, I just thrust into the gospel. I'm like, here's the message, you know. God wants a relationship with you, and he desires you, and the relationship with him is possible through his son, Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. <sighs> Huge wall just shut off. And I'm like, fired up, and I'm like, this is it. This is the moment. You know, I'm gonna We're going to pray right now. I'm about to lay hands on your face. And... I am telling you, the combo was over. And I realized, like, oh, shoot. Like, the, when I mentioned Jesus and that you can only have a relationship with God through Jesus, that this is the most exclusive message in the world, it all shut down. And every time we've had a conversation since, there's just this weird tension. Like we're both like, you going to say something? Or are you going to say something? You want me to bring it up again? And, no? Okay, I'll have a coffee. It's, it's weird. And, and here's why I say that. Like, I, I care about this person. I want to help them. I want to love them. And, and I know. But like the desire to persuade them could cause me to maybe dilute my message. And I just say, well, maybe, you know, okay, like, let's forget about the Jesus thing. You know, like, let's just stick to God. You know, and, and that's fine. Like, I get meeting people where they are. Absolutely. Contextually, Paul was a beast. Paul said, I became to the Jews a Jew, to the Gentiles a Gentile. I became all things to all people that I might save some. But he wasn't changing his content. He was adjusting for his context, but he was mindful that the power was in his content. And so with the Corinthians, as they were aware, they, they placed all the value on orators and rhetorical persuasion and wisdom of men. And he wouldn't meet them on their level. He would say, no, I'm telling you, that's not where it is. The power is in the message, not the messenger. So don't let your context dilute your content. San Antonio's framework theologically as you engage with people, be mindful of those things. Continue to focus on the gospel. Because here's what you need to know. You can't preach Christ without a cross. All right? You can't preach Christ without a cross. Paul said, for I, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing. This is my message. You can't preach Christ without a cross. Here, here let, me, let me sum this up for you. Christianity without a cross. You are still enslaved to sin. You are still captive to death. Your debt hasn't been paid. There is no hope for eternal life. It communicates that ultimately God is not holy because he hasn't dealt with sin appropriately. And honestly, that message, it is, it's easier. It's easier and less offensive. 
Christianity without a cross. Just moralism in many ways. But, but Christianity with a cross, here's what it says. Follow me here. It says your sin was dealt with. It says that death was defeated. It says that your debt has been paid, that Jesus paid it all. Use that and in and out. Use that when you go get your next meal. Jesus paid it all. The cross says you can have hope for your future and eternity. It says that God loves you. It says that anyone can receive love and grace. It says that God wanted a relationship with you so bad that he would go to the very depths of sacrifice to have it and purchase it. That's what God thinks about you. He loves you so much that, that he was unwilling to withhold even his own son to be crucified slandered, mocked, publicly humiliated and shamed in front of everyone for you, though he was spotless and perfect so he could have a relationship with you. That's the beauty of the cross. Where they see it as folly, we see it as the power of God. We see it as the beauty of God. We see it as the message of God. We see it as through the spirit of God. This is the beautiful thing about Christianity. There's no message without a cross. There's nothing to share without a cross. So Paul said, I know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Mm. So how, how do you preach Christ crucified? I'm going to close with this. How do you do this? Like if you're walking into Starbucks tomorrow, you're like, yo, man, you know Christ crucified? But that's not going to go well. <laughs> like, most people, you know, like, hey, man, they're like, hey, man, what do you do for them? Listen, I don't know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. You just walk off that's what Paul said. It's biblical. Don't even talk. You're wasting your words. Just say those words. I'm just joking, Savannah. So here's the thing. How do you preach Christ and Christ crucified? What's the message? If you were going to break it down, if you could have a framework to take with you. So I want to leave you with this as we close. Three words that can help you. It's not a, not a perfect method. It's just a method. Okay? And this is a method. This is a narrative you can take for you to understand the gospel and for you to share with other people. Three words, here you go. Number one, separation. Number two, substitution. And number three, salvation. Three words, not perfect, but a method. Separation, substitution, salvation. What does this mean? Number one is that you were separated from God because of your sin. Every person is separated from God because of their sin. Separation implicitly communicates there was a connection. That, that God had created you for connection. That you had fellowship with him. You had relationship with him. But the separation occurred from sin. Romans 3.23 is your verse. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That death is a spiritual death. It's a separation from God. Right? So separation from God because we have sinned. But the second word, substitution. Christ was substituted on your behalf. The, the, the picture you can imagine here is a courtroom. And you're on trial for your sin. But Christ steps out of the crowd and into your place and takes your penalty for you. He's substituted on your behalf. The verse is 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, for God made him who knew no sin to be sin." So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God took Christ 
who had never sinned. And he substituted him for you so that he was crushed in your place for your sins. The sins of the world were placed on him and God crushed him and he was substituted, bearing the wrath and the penalty of sin for you. And the third word is salvation. And this is how we're made right with God. How are we justified with God? How do we have a right relationship? If we were severed and separated, how do we come back? And and it's, it's this way, by grace through faith. If anybody was there on Sunday, Kevin said it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So we receive the free gift of God's grace through faith. The text you could use is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's a free gift of God. Lest anyone should boast, it's not of works. So by grace through faith. We're made right with God by grace through faith. That word faith is the Greek word pistis. It means to trust. The, the example I always give is like a chair. It's the distinction between seeing the chair and acknowledging it and trusting it and sitting in it. You're placing your life on it. You're placing your weight on it. You're placing everything you have and saying, God, I trust you. I receive you. So we were separated from God because of our sins. Christ was substituted on our behalf. And we are saved by grace through faith. That is not exactly how I would start a conversation with someone. Like, I'm not, I don't, like, if you're just like, hey, what's up, bro? So three words. Like, I, I think maybe fill it out a little bit more than that. But what I mean is this. Having that framework in your mind as you work through the narrative. Because here's what we know, guys. Like, you need the revelation and the information are crucial for the transformation. You have to have the right information. You have to know the right things. And in this framework, this gospel, the power is in this message, not in the, the persuasiveness of the messenger. So you can go and you can fumble through this bad boy and be like, oh, this is a separate substance, separation and uh, sanctification. And uh, what do you think? And they're like, I'll receive Christ. And you're like, whoa, dude, like, you know, like, uh, Look, dude, it was the power of the message, not the persuasiveness of the messenger, but I'm feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty persuasive. So you can take this into your conversations and this message, guys, this message has, Paul says, has has power and it can change people. So we're going to break to our groups and I want you guys just to consider this. Like, uh, one... Have you responded to the gospel in your own life personally? And could you share this? Um, What are the temptations to dilute this? And your smarter leaders will lead it from there. But let me pray first really quick. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. God, I pray that um, it honored you. I pray that um, you were glorified. And Jesus, um, I just ask for our small groups that they be fruitful and edifying and that you would... Reveal yourself to us in Jesus' name. Amen.